I love the battery. I mean, like it's it was just really interesting place to go. And um, <laughs> one funny story I've got there, if you'd like a funny I story. I love a funny story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it had been raining, and we all, like I said, we used to all like, like weekly get jobs of things we had to do. And one of them was like cleaning the rafters up in. So I was up in the rafters one day, like cobwebbing all these cobwebs, like, and it was raining, and there was this guy who used to work there who was called Roy and he was the in charge of all the gardening and stuff like that. And I remember coming in and I remember him coming in and he didn't know I was up there and it's pissing down rain and I'm going, build an ark, Roy, build an ark. <laughs> <laughs> and he's looking around. He couldn't, he couldn't tell where it was coming from. And I never, I never let him know, but yeah, it was, um, it was funny to see him looking around like, is this, is this God talking to me? The Buttery. Immortalised in Paul Kelly's iconic song is Australia's most famous drug and alcohol service, a therapeutic community celebrating 50 years. Hi, I'm George Katzi. And I'm Mandy Nolan. And this is the story of this special place and what brings people to their door. You just heard from my ex-partner, Rhett. He was telling a story from his time at The Buttery. And you'll hear from Roy a bit later. Rhett's the father of my two daughters. He attended the buttery three times. When we met, he'd just come out from his first stay and when we parted, he went in again and then later he went back in a third time. I didn't even know about that until we talked. When we came to making this podcast, I realised that talking with Rhett was important as it frames my personal connection with the buttery and addiction. Living with a using addict was hard. I realised now that I didn't really understand addiction and I certainly didn't understand recovery. This was a really painful part of my life. I just wanted Rhett to stop using drugs and I saw the buttery as a magic bullet. I didn't understand the long road that often lies ahead for many people in recovery, the relapsing. There was no romantic happy ending for us, no returning as Paul Kelly sings to her door. But over the years, we developed a more positive relationship, something we did for our girls and something that feels imperative if you're going to break the patterns that lead to subsequent generations back to addiction. So we rang Rhett and spoke to him in Bali, where he lives now. Putting this together, what was interesting was, you know, knowing how, what fondness everyone has for the buttery. And I guess my first experience of knowing about the buttery was really through you because I met you just as you came out of um, the buttery program. So just, just for the sake, was that your first time at the buttery that time? That was the first time. I've, I've actually been there three times. I went um, third time lucky, I call it. <laughs> but the first time I went there, I mean, look, that place, the place is, a, I mean, it really is a godsend, really. I mean, um, I think for a lot of people who end up choosing that as their choice of trying to start rehabilitation, I, I, I really think, you know, you know, you've come, a lot of people come from this new sort of life and they're suddenly out there in the middle of, uh, well, just outside of, what, what's it, Binabara? 
which is the place. And it's just a beautiful little place and such a nice setup. Yeah. Can you take me back to what it was like for you, if you can go back to that time when you went there, of how you were feeling before you went there and and what it was like stepping into that program of going there um, for the first time about what your expectations were and where you were in your life at that time. Yeah, I've been been using them for many, many years. And I think the last couple of years that I was using, I was really not wanting to do it, but I just couldn't get that... It, was, it seemed easier just to scrounge around and find $50, $100 every day than it was to try to think about getting any sort of um, serenity. I'd heard about it through, I think, through different people. I could, um, like, it, I, I was doing, I, I did a couple of the Narcotics Anonymous things, and just through the meetings after that and stuff, I kind of heard a bit about it, and I did a bit of research. And then finally, one morning I woke up in my, my little flat in the cross, and I woke up. And of course, your first thought when you wake up is, have I got anything? Have I got any money? Where do I get something? That's your first minute of waking is like that. And I remember waking up and I remember looking around my apartment. And I was, I was a fairly good junkie. I didn't steal. I used to, I had things and I used to like hock them and stuff like that. I was, my brain was very inventive of ways to get money together. I remember waking up one morning and I'm just looking around my apartment and thinking, fuck, I've got nothing left I can hop or sell. I've got nothing left. That's it. I've got to get on the phone. And so I, I'd had the number for the battery. I gave them a call. And I'm like, okay, ready. Let's, let's do this. I want to, I want to get clean. And they're like, okay, we'll put you on a list for three months. I'm like, no, I want to get clean now. We've got a waiting list here. It's, it's, um, um, we, we have a bit of protocol that you have to go through. So I think they cut out, they cut out the people who aren't, really ready for it by you have they make you do things it's you know you know because the thing about getting clean is if, if you're going to this place you think you know everything if they say jump you've got to jump you know you can't just um you, you've you've been doing everything wrong up until then without realizing it so you've got to try this other way which you're not really used to so anyway they had me ringing up them you have to ring them up every saturday between 11 and 2 and just by doing that you're showing them that you are interested in doing this thing Finally, that day came, and um, I took the train up. I remember, yeah, I took the train up to to you know, Doctor Byron Bay and got picked up and taken into Minnabar. And like I said, it was it's a bit of a it's a godsend because it's such a beautiful little block of land. And I hadn't had that experience of you know some just some nice quiet out uh, you know nice quiet um, safe area. So yeah, it was a really nice setup. Then you go there and you meet all the other you meet all the other people. Like I said, there's 25 people. It was yeah, it was kind of hard. Like I remember Barry telling us when when we were there that um, look, there's 25 people here um, now. When you've just arrived, there's 25 people in front of you. By the time you leave, there'll be another 25. You'll be the top dog, sort of thing. You'll be the one with the most experience, and there'll be another 25 people following you in your footsteps. You know, the battery's got some fantastic stories of of, um, of people giving up terrible addictions, but it's also got some um, some sad stories too. You know, like because addiction is, is a very strong thing and it can draw you back very very easily. Luckily, this you know the surroundings and everything of the battery are nice, and you don't you just forget about that. It's not so you're reminded every day of you know, like when you wake up in the cross and walk in, like before, if you're in the cross, you wake up in the cross, you're seeing that all the time. You're seeing 
you're seeing people all the time who are like that. So you're reminded all the time that you're not in the battery. Were you scared, Brett, when you when you first stepped in there? Were you were you scared about what was going to lie ahead for you? Because I mean, when you were um, in the getting and using of drugs, that's something you're really familiar with, and suddenly you're in this brand new environment. How did you feel? Yeah, it was scary. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's like anything you do you've never done before. But, uh, but like I said, with the environment and with the people there, and uh, like when I, I think by the time I actually got there, I was just so over trying to just get money and score. And, and I was, over, like I said, it, it, it was a couple of years of not wanting to do it, but it just, I couldn't get the strength to just stop, you know, because it is a, it is a thing, you know. And so, yes, I was scared. and. But it, it, you know, it, it gave me a lot, I guess. The whole program gave me a lot. Like I said, I went three times. And like the first time I did it for like nine months, which I really, really tried my hardest. The second time I went there it was only for like... <laughs> I think we were together then was, for the second time. Was that all towards the end? I think I was only there for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that sort of thing. Um, I think I was in there and I think I had another friend who I'd been used, I'd used with before it arrived and it was a bit more... It wasn't... Yeah, it wasn't so regimented, but also because I knew the drill, you know, so I knew which ways I could kind of utilize that to my own benefit, I guess. But I ended up, I ended up escaping there and then just thinking I couldn't do it, it was too much. And then the third time I went, I think I went for, I went for six months and that was the final one, which kind of, you know, was, you know really, really. So yeah, it really, really got me to think about. So tell things, me about that because I know, um, you know, I understand a lot more about um, the process of recovery now in our relationship. I realised how little I understood about what was going on and how complex um, stopping using drugs can be. So I remember, I don't, you know, it, to me yeah. it was just about stopping um and obviously it's so much bigger than that and that's, you know, that's what the buttery is there for. Um, so so tell me what, what, what tell me a little bit because I'd love to know parts of the program that really worked for you or what really hit you or those moments where you felt something shift or change. I, one of the things I remember quite distinctly was because it's kind of, the day's broken down into meetings, you know, with um with group meetings and things like that, and there's some exercise things, and there's some blah blah blah, you know, cooking. Because basically, you're put into a house with four other people that you don't know, and and you sign away all your rights and all your like your doll check, your money goes to the battery. So they give you an amount of things to do, like you've got to budget. And I'd never thought about budgeting or what budgeting was before. Usually, if I had, you know, if I had fifty dollars, that meant I'd go out and score. But if I had, if I ever had thirty dollars, that wouldn't mean that I'd go out and eat. It would mean I just need another 20, that's, then I've got 50. <laughs> you understand what I mean? It wasn't about food and it wasn't about rent and it wasn't about anything. It was all about trying to, just trying to get high. But I remember one time when I was there and I was doing the dishes because we all had, you know, we all had roles there. Like some people were doing, like on a daily basis, you have cleaning and you have, you know, just the normal things that normal people do, cleaning and whatever. But I remember doing the dishes and I was washing up some spoons and I was thinking, fuck, we... You're supposed to eat with these. It's <laughs> <laughs> a revelation. Wow. Yeah. It was. It was a bit of a revelation because I'd never used, I mean, I had used it in for eating, but the majority of the spoons I'd used weren't for that. And look, it, 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 it's 
the program is hard, but like I said, if they say jump, you've got to jump because that's where they, you know, that's where they find the people. I think that's where you find out whether it's really going to be for you. It's 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 just so bloody hard trying to give up. It really it really is. I mean, your brain, your mind, uh, your circumstances, your environment, and your, whatever your partners and if they're all into that, it's just it just makes it really really hard. Isn't it? Yeah, but I remember like it taught me things which I didn't normally think about doing. Okay, like I get so much money every week. Wasn't going for drugs now, but some of it has to go for rent. Some of it needs to go for, um, uh, you know, like for food and stuff like that. So you break. You have to. I learned to budget. That was one thing I learned to do. Did Did the buttery provide you with the skill set or the support to look at? What they tried. They tried. Budget. I mean, it, it's all about honesty. It's all about a lot of it is about honesty. And, and another little story that I remember in, in that regard was, uh, like on Sundays or something like that, we'd all take group boats of where we wanted to go. So sometimes we'd like go to a waterfall out and you know wine, wine, or this sort of thing. I remember once we were on this bus and we'd gone out to this waterfall. On the way back, we stopped in Lismore at this little. Uh, gas station to get some gas for the bus. And if you had any money left over, you're allowed to go. Like, you know, because after all your budget and everything, you, you're left with like $7 a week. So, so if you had saved any that, if you had any that saved up, you could go out and you could buy some lollies. But I didn't have any money saved. I'd only been there for a while. I went into this service station and I, I stole a packet of fruit tingles, right? Now I get back on the bus and I start thinking, oh, geez, I've, it was really weighing on me. This feeling, no, the program was all about honesty. So Monday morning meeting, the next morning I get up and I address everybody. Hey, listen, I just want to tell you, Yesterday, we were at the supermarket. I saw the packet of fruit tingles. I feel really shit about it. I feel really bad about it. I want to recommend. And then we, so the whole meeting started to turn around to this point, and we decided that next weekend I was going to go back to the service station and tell them what I did and make amends. And so I did that. I walked in there and I went up to the guy and said, Hey, look, I'm sorry I was here last week. And I and I stole some fruit tingles. I just like to say I'm sorry and, and pay for it. And the guy said, Look, oh, mate, look, I don't give a fucking shit, mate. Which kind of you just think, yeah, it's kind of like all that week of me preparing for this, and the guys, oh, look, I don't give a shit. I love that. <laughs> that was the guy from the shop. Obviously, it wasn't uh, his shop. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it weighed on me. It didn't weigh on him. <laughs> That's the point, though, isn't it? It's, it's about it is about that capacity you have for that for that deep honesty and breaking those kind of almost those habits that probably just became like reflexes rather than even conscious things that you did. Yeah, exactly. Rhett's very funny. I mean, he's a really good storyteller. I know. He's great, isn't he? It was kind of one of those things like, well, that was a major part of our relationship. And as I'm listening to him, I'm going, oh, yeah, I know these stories. But until we did the podcast, I hadn't put the faces to the names. I like the story Rhett told at the beginning where he goes, you know, build an ark, build an ark, Roy. Oh, that's Roy. We met Roy. Yeah, Roy Dennett. I mean, he has the longest relationship with the buttery. Roy followed a girl up to the Northern Rivers, then found God and ended up staying there when it was the drop-in centre that Paul Mallam talked about in the first episode. I mean, he mentioned the gardener being here. In fact, Roy's name pops up in most stories. He worked as a groundsman at the Buttery from 1975 to 2021 and lived there on site for a good part of that time. His relationship with the place spanned 46 years. I mean, Roy saw a lot of people come and go when we spoke to him. While he didn't recall Rhett's build an arc moment, he did have one profound insight. 
Well, I was, they were searching for themselves and I was searching, I was searching for myself also. I mean, I wasn't using or anything like that, you know, but I just, like I said, I just become a born again Christian. But so there was a, it's like two steps forward and one back type thing, you know? So was that a process for you too, Roy? Like while you were there working, you were also going through some deep changes and yeah, searching yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Did you find what you were looking for? Yeah. What yeah. was that? Well, my relationship with the Lord, you know. It's and- it's a day-by-day thing and it's not religion, you know, like. That's all right. It's not religion. It's like, not like this. It's relationship. Mm-hmm. I've so, got some analogies, but, uh, yeah. Oh, tell me your analogies. I'd love to hear them. Well, I like the analogy of, of being in a rip. Yeah. And the, the law of the rip is that you, if, it, if you go with it, it'll take you out and bring you back again. Do you know, do you know about that one? But most people find that hard to get their head around and, or they don't know anything about it and they, they try and f- swim against it. And so that's where the danger comes in. Mm-hmm. And even when the lifesaver comes out, you know, and he sees you struggling, he'll back away and he says, stop struggling or I can't help you. So that's surrender. Oh, I love that. You know, that is one of the, the key themes of the program from the residents I've spoken to is they've all spoken to me about the importance of surrender. Yeah. And it's not easy. It's more almost like surrender is almost like a four letter word, isn't it? To yeah. The human being. Yeah. Because you're dealing with the pride and, you know. I've lived in Byron and Mullumbimby for over 30 years And so many of my friends came to the area because of the buttery. They did the program and then moved into the community and then some didn't leave. Many of them have gone on to be business people, creatives and very much valued community members. I couldn't host this podcast without talking about the unique qualities of this region. And I don't just mean the incredible coastline, the ancient forests and the lush green hills. I mean the community. While the area's changed a lot over the last few decades, there's still this wonderful mix of artists and musicians and creatives and successful people and lost people and soon-to-be-found people. It's a kind of vibe that gets in. You might even say for some of us it's addictive. And even if you want to leave, it just keeps calling you back. For Caitlin, a friend of Rhett's and of mine, Byron was where she got recovery and found a place she could call home. Did the buttery bring you here? Was it was it the experience of going to the buttery that was part of finding home in in this region? Because you weren't born here. This isn't somewhere where you grew up. That's true. I found home in this area after going to the buttery in 1997. I really only came to the buttery for about six weeks and then I was going to chuff back to my life in Melbourne. It was as if I'd crawled out from behind a rock. I'd been living, you know, the rock and roll lifestyle in St Kilda back in the 90s and um, I was a drug user and the buttery was always that place where everyone spoke about the Paul Kelly song, you know, he went to the buttery about a year. It was a place that you went to that was seriously dealt with addiction. If you go there, you're kind of serious about stopping. And a friend who was a fellow drug user, I can remember sitting around one night and he'd just been to the buttery and he showed me this 
photo album of palm trees and the train track that used to run through the back of it and um, said, look at this. And I went, oh, that looks like a really nice place to go and dry out sunshine. And so off I went, but only with the intention of staying for six weeks. And then I've stayed and this area is my home. It's in my heart. I was um, 30 actually when I got, got here. So born in 1967, arrived in 1997 and my addiction had brought me to a place of complete despair. I was no longer able to hold down a job. I was constantly moving, couch surfing. Um, I was emaciated, lost half my teeth. I think I was about 45 kilos. I don't think I'd lived on anything other than chupper chumps and maybe a bowl of muesli every now and again and a tofu curry from a place down in... Fitzroy Street, um, and I was unable to really function at the end of my addiction. What did you think? Do you remember what you thought when you arrived? You'd made that decision and that commitment, which I imagine um, for someone in active addiction, you would have, you know, obviously had done your detox, but you can't, you know, you've made a big commitment to step mm-hmm. into a, the front doors of a therapeutic community a long way from home. Do, do you remember that day of walking in there? I do, and I think it's a very, um, it's a really emotional memory in that my father actually drove me to the buttery. He he was an alcoholic and he's no longer with us, but he drove me from Sydney up the coast and he had this big truck that he was a travelling salesman. And um, so we did that journey together and that in itself was really significant in me moving forward in my recovery and getting to the buttery. It was like he was delivering me to the gates of heaven or something. (laughs) And um, he would, you know, he would often visit on his way through. But I I think I'd I'd shaved my head. (laughs) So I arrived there and I was this, like this mini little Buddhist nun. I guess I wanted to kind of be all clean. And I'd heard somewhere that there was this rehab in Thailand where, they shaved your head when you got there and the, you know, length of your hair indicated the length of your, you know, recovery or it was a, you know, um, a symbolism for your recovery. So when I got there, I was, um, I was actually a month clean, which was rare because I think there's that you had to be three days clean to get in or you had to have three days of absence and most people would arrive there and dodgy their urines and, you know, whatever. But I'd actually gone from St Kilda to Sydney and I wasn't really going to go to the buttery. I thought, oh, you know, I I, I was staying clean and abstinent through the 12-step fellowship in Sydney and I thought, oh, I don't really need to go. And all the women in the 12-step fellowship said, "Uh uh-uh, you really need to go. You're really unwell. And I was. I was really unwell. I think when I say unwell, it's certainly related to behavioural you know, mm. ways of being and my place in the world and certainly how I thought. I had a really convoluted, fucked up sense of self and 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 the world at that stage of my life and operated out of addictive tendencies. And if it wasn't for the getting and using of drugs, then it would play out in relationships. It would play out in learnt behaviours that were great on the street of St Kilda to get my drugs and to get what I wanted. But in society, they're really dysfunctional and really toxic and um, and unwell behaviours. I think I'd done so many detoxes by the time that I got there that 
when I arrived through that door, I was greeted with, you know, certainly a welcoming and um, I felt safe all of a sudden. I felt like, oh, you know, I can just relax, big breath out. Um, but I was, you know, I was terrified. Like you say, I was in this place that I had no relationship to it. I didn't know who the people were and all of a sudden I was going to live in this therapeutic community for what I thought was six weeks and, you know, the usual kind of um, protocol goes. We do a urine test and, you know, hand in all our possessions and give give over what we have and then find the shed space down at, I think it was Lisa House. The houses all have names. I don't know the significance of those names, but nevertheless, um, I was moved into a Lisa House, I think it was, and met the community. And then um, that was that. And everything became kind of monitored. I think at a certain period of time, we, we were allowed to have phone calls. Back then, I mean, it was 1997. I don't even think I had a mobile phone. The world wasn't as fast as it was. We were allowed to smoke then in the program. So I think I arrived with a carton of Peter Stuyvesant soft pack without those horrendous kind of mouth ulcers on the front. They were very snazzy gra- graphics back then. And, um, you know, your bags are checked and that sort of thing. And I think I was just ready and, um, ready to kind of embark on this new journey. But it wasn't, you know, I was just going there for six weeks. Like I said, I wasn't. And then I was going back to this rock and roll lifestyle that <laughs> I thought I had in Melbourne. That, that is the commitment, isn't it, um, Caitlin, is is the length of time. How long mm. was your hair when you left in the end? So yeah, how long, long was the time? Oh, no, I think I shaved it again. Oh, no, it was probably long. I can't remember. Actually, someone showed me a photograph the other day of us all together um, from – the veranda at the buttery and I was dressed up as Angus from um, ACDC and had the tie and I had the cap and stuff. I looked like I was 12, seriously, and I was 30. So So how long did you end up staying? I ended up staying for about 12 months. I can imagine for a lot of people I've known, particularly artists that have struggled because it's so hard to build yourself when you come out again. It's hard to take that time out. How how did it change you and, and how did you make peace with that time that you were giving yourself away from the rest of the world? I think I made peace with myself in that for that 12 months that I was at the Buttery, a new life had begun within that community. And I think that we're given this, it's almost like a gold card of, um, or a credit card, if you like, of, of time. Um, the clock kind of stopped from that moment for me um, and started again in a new way, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, I think because you're in a therapeutic community, so life relationships and friendships are built out of that and that was the way that I moved forward within that community. That that community and that value system that was given to me within the buttery um, meant more to me than the life that I'd left. And so moving forward, even though it was frightening and new, meant more to me than all the relationships of my active addiction had. And not all of them, but certainly the I didn't have any um, loving relationships in my life at the end of my addiction. Really, it was it was very peripheral to my, you know, it was all to my t- to do with my drug addiction. 
So many people that I met in the buttery um, have had a huge impact on my life today and still I know so many of those people, um, even if it's a distant kind of connection through those social medias and, and, and whatnot, but those relationships are very important. I think in the witnessing of each other's lives and the sharing of the histories and the family of origin stuff, which is really um, when you unpack that by yourself, it's different to when you're unpacking, you know, if you go to a psychologist and you pack, unpack your family of origin stuff one-on-one, it's a different thing to doing that with 25 other residents. And I think that shared empathetic, um, compassionate space that the buttery gave to me individually and gave to all of us, created a community and in these incredibly long-standing, beautiful friendships that, you know, matter that, that means something and, and that um, I'm still f- very fond of and are in my heart today, yeah. Heroin, it, you know, just kind of pickled you emotionally, pickled me emotionally. I, I walked out of my heroin addiction. I, I was probably the maturity of about a 12-year-old because I started using it, you know, I in my 20s, but I think I'd used all the other substances before that till I found, oh, okay, there's there's the Temple Gates. That's the one that allows me to kind of look at my shoes for 10 hours. I mean, being at the Buttery, we were given this daily program that was pretty strict in that, you know, you, you got out of bed at six or seven, you got in, you, you did your chores for the day. So all those living skills that get completely annihilated in, a, in active addiction were, were given back to me. And, and through that daily living skills, trust and self-esteem was built. And then the reflection within the community, the therapeutic community gave realisation. It gave this sense of, oh, so this is actually how I operate in the world. Even though I think you're all a bunch of assholes for telling me that I'm not going to take responsibility for myself and that I'm completely manipulative and I da 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 whatever the, the kind of um, behavioural things that I did that were dysfunctional, they reflected them to me and that didn't feel feel great at all. But the insight that's given from that therapeutic community and, and those daily actions, really small daily actions of just living in the world, cleaning up after myself and being a part of and cooking together, eating together, that sense of connection. Um, obviously there's a very huge external reach in this area of Northern Rivers of, of support systems. So being a part of that as well, which we're introduced to at the Buttery. But all of those things stood me personally really well for when I left 12 months after being there and, and venturing out and into the world and then taking those skills of those daily habits and valuing those connections and having that personal insight, which was reflected upon from others, walking forward and going, oh, so this is all I have to do actually, get up, brush my teeth, do something physically active, feel connected to the community. A sense of gratitude is really important. But I think if I reflect back on those thir- first experiences of recovery and, and through the buttery, that slow down, observe your thoughts and live in a community and, and walk kind of gently with um, consideration and, and um, safety and self-respect, when I come back to those very simple things, then that gives me a pause button 
which is so important in my life today. And as you would know, I mean, busy people doing lots of different creative projects. It's very important for me to stop and go, okay, what's important? Um, really what's important and often what's important is just to do fucking nothing really (laughs) and just enjoy the sun and have a swim. But, yeah, as a creative, I think um, those those early days of of, um, all those early weeks and months at the Buttery stood me in good stead for the practices that I live today in my life. John is someone I shared a house with in Brisbane when I was 21. He was an artist, an amazing gardener and a theatre performer. He was 15 years older than me and the same age as me now, 55, when he went through the door at the buttery. Tell me a little bit about the program and how you engaged with it and how, how, how it was for you as an older person in the program coming in to a predominantly younger crew. Um, how, how things started to move for you and how you felt in those initial few weeks? I was very scared. Um, I was completely out of my comfort zone. You know, there were no drugs to alleviate uh, the pain of living. Um, and um, I was being faced up with a lot of reality, but I was also waking up after what seemed like many years of a very long, deep sleep. So the process, I found the buttery very painful, um, the whole process. Um, I'll always be incredibly grateful for it, but I didn't find it easy. But, you know, coming out of many years of addiction and going into the buttery where I had to be answerable and I had to be present was tough. You know, I was waking up. As I said before, um, I was waking up after a, a long dream, much of it hideous, you know, going into the buttery, there's a lot of reality that you're, you know, you're facing from the moment you walk into the place. And uh, it's what was needed, you know, to come back to reality. You know, how did, how did you face that? There is that. Sorry. Oh, look, I had, a, I had a really good counselor there, you know, and the program is amazing. I mean, I fought it tooth and nail at times and you know, intellectualized it and, and railed against certain things. But, you know, all that meant nothing when it came to actually being there and going through the program. But this is <laughs> supercharged, you know. It's, um, they're putting you on the spot a lot. And, uh, and, uh, it's, and, it, and there is a bit of breaking down in the process too, you know, getting rid of the, the lizard skin of addiction and trying to find out who you are underneath that, the, the help is invaluable, you what, know, to come out as a human being again. What was the defining moment or the moment that you felt you started to break through? Did you actually have a moment like that? I did, and it was right towards the end when I was um, about to be asked to leave and I was all the old fear came back, all the old self-doubt came back and... Um, I then realized uh, that I was the one who had to take the next step and that was, you know, take some responsibility, go and find somewhere to live, you know, go and rely on the the community in Byron of like-minded people. And um, it happened despite my fear, you know. No matter how much fear I had, those things happened. One thing happened after another and I ended up staying in Byron for 15 years of my recovery. 
I think I think in the persistence of the message, you know, the the constancy and, and uh, you know, waking up slowly and seeing people around you who are actually concerned about your welfare, but also don't have any expectations on what you're going to do with it, with the skills they give you. You know, uh, a very different way of growing up and growing up rapidly. You know. Um, just that peeling back the layers to get to the person uh, that goes on in the buttery. And, you know, some people don't make that journey and they leave. That's fine, you know. Room for someone else. <laughs> well, that's kind of true, isn't it? And it's it's not yeah, a wasted that's not a wasted journey of started the process. But it's it sounds like for you, John, going to the buttery the time you were and the time in your life that you went, that you've had profound and deeply transformational change? I have. I look at some, you know, I, I still talk to four or five people who I sponsored, um, you know, back in the own days on a regular basis. And, you know, some of them have, are still on that journey, even though they're squeaky clean as far as drugs and alcohol goes. They're still struggling with that um trying to install the stuff into their lives. You know? so the, the journey can be long for all of us, I think. You know? And my, my journey with recovery doesn't stop either, you know. These are all stories of people who went through the buttery and subsequently reclaimed their lives. It's clear in listening to them that these are the stories embedded in the walls of the buttery. They're the ghosts of recovery, the people who made it and sometimes the people who haven't. It creates a kind of sacredness in a space that is a run-down old buttery that once churned cream into butter. Maybe that's what's going on here, churning. Heading for a halfway house in Byron, Mandy grabbed Matt just before he left. Matt. Mandy. Tell me, um, how, what, how long do you leave? Where, where are we up to? <laughs> I leave tomorrow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How are you feeling? Uh, ready. Yeah. Ready. Like healthy amount of, you know, respect for, you know, the disease, but also like fuck seven, seven months is a long time. So rehabbed out. Yeah. How yeah. you, have you changed? Um, look, I, I think the, I've changed. Um, I'm starting to learn like some self-compassion, um, you know, not just smashing myself all the time. I think that's probably the biggest way I've changed is – yeah, not not beating myself up. A little bit more understanding about myself, like um, the reasons why I might pick up and use. But you know, really, it's just like being kinder to myself. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. How, how are you feeling too? How am I feeling? Fuck that question gets asked <laughs> way <laughs> too much here. Oh, um, look, I feel fucking really, really excited. Um, I'm really excited, really ready. Um, a weird bit of like sentimental kind of feelings coming through. Like, oh, last time I'm doing art class, last time I'm doing this, last time I'm doing that. But like stoked, stoked to a finish, to be honest. It's it's hard. It's long. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. So where are you going? I'm going to go to the transition house. Um, so there's a house in what Sunrise, I think. Um, yeah, I got three months there, like $150 a week of – you know, basically in Byron Bay. So take advantage of that. Keep doing my recovery. Keep doing the things. Um, and, yeah, beyond that, no plans. 
Great. Like, just in the in the day. And what are you looking forward to? Uh, what am I looking forward to? Being able to skate, like the beach when I want, skateboard, um, pattern dogs. There's an amazing. Have you heard about the skate? Park? I've seen it. It looks fucking great. Like I can't <laughs> wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't wait. Patting dogs. Yeah, we can't. Yeah. So look, log story. We um. Oh, you told me about that. I did. Yes. Dogs, yeah, can't so. pat dogs. So I'm gonna pat all the dogs forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And know that you can handle yourself. I can, I can, I can hack it. Yeah. <laughs> so, as you, as you leave, I'd love to know if if you could say something to the buttery with gratitude. What would you say? Um. Firstly, I'd say thanks for letting me stay. Um. Um. And thanks for thanks for existing. Like thanks for being here. It's like a really hard program, but it clearly like the place has a reputation. It's got like you know a, an aura. It's got a you know it's got a story, but it's like it really there seems to be something to it. Um, I've never felt kind of so sure of myself. Not so much my like recovery, but so sure of myself. Um, so I guess I just thank them for for existing and, you know, with the integrity that they have to keep the kind of the program running the way it does. That's yeah. fantastic. And it, it actually does seem like that the program has really given you something that you needed. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like I've always been on the, like, on the surface level, like a very outgoing and, um, you know, people would probably describe me as like sure of myself and eager, but like it's it's all it's always just been like a front, like a mask. And you know, now I feel like I can actually back myself. Um, uh, like my social anxiety is kind of like the lowest it's ever been. My confidence is kind of up. I can, you know, assert my position. Like you know, I don't, I don't have to be argumentative and fucking lose my mind. But like just being able to find that healthy middle ground in any like kind of, you know, confrontation or dispute and be able to say my piece without it's yeah, it's wild. Like it's really wild if you'd have seen me seven months ago. Like Are you yeah. a very different person? Oh, to, I was, to the I Matt was, that walked in yeah, seven months yeah, ago. Yeah, I think so. Like not very different. I think all the core stuff is still there. Uh, all the bits of my, myself that I liked is still there. All the bits I like a lot of the bits that I don't like are still there, but like it gives me a really like I'm I'm just I just know myself more, honestly. Um, and I'm probably like 25 kilos heavier because I came in real little, like real little sick. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, that's, it's amazing. And I, gu- I guess I just want to ask too, who can you reach out to now that you're in the community? You'll have support there, I take um, it? So, look, in terms of ongoing buttery support, I'm not 100% sure. But, like, you know, they've – we go to meetings, you know, so it's the, it's the fellowships, you know. So, yeah, they reach yeah, out and yeah, take you, yeah, take you the to the next part um, of the journey. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. There it is. Yeah, there it is, the community, the wider, the wider world. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting, Matt. Yeah. Well, good luck. Thank you. We want to close this episode with something Rhett said to us. In talking about addiction, it's really pertinent to remember this is a health issue. One of the maiden reasons we chose a podcast to tell this story of the buttery over a video documentary was it protects the identity of the storytellers in a way video just can't do. It doesn't stigmatise or pornographise. These are important stories. To be honest, it's, it's, it's not a 
drug problem. It's actually a, a human social problem where kids are, you know, you don't take drugs when you when you come from a happy, loving, happy family without any core issues. I don't think you do. I don't think you take them daily like like you do. Um, there are a lot of hurt kids out there. There's a lot of, it's actually a social problem, a socioeconomic problem or, or a, an abuse problem. People have, people have um, issues why they use, you know. Mine was rejection and abandonment. And that once, you know, once you find out these things, you can work on them. But, you know, I find it really, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't I even, I'd be afraid. Yeah. I'd I, be afraid. I actually agree about that. And that's the thing is like, you know, the, Drugs have been criminalised for far too long. It's a health issue. It's a social issue. You know, you've got to stop making exactly. people who have most people who have, are using using drugs at an addictive level um, have had significant traumas that have been unaddressed. Um, exactly. You know, and exactly. That, yeah, and that's you know that's what you know we need to look at criminalising people. To be addressed. Yeah, criminalising and stigmatising and you know, pushing people to the perimeters of society kills people. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here. Well, Mandy, thank you. Thank you for your part in, no, thank you for your part also in, you know, because you were there from the using to the, to the me trying to get clean and now you see me now and I just want to thank you as well for your part in what happened with me. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. You've been listening to To Their Door, a podcast that tells the 50-year history of the buttery. Next episode, we catch up with a former resident who loved the buttery so much he never left. David Dalton left the buttery, went to uni, got his degree and came back as a drug and alcohol counsellor. You have been listening to Mandy Nolan and George Katzi. This is an Authentic You media production.